This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we're here to talk about films with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, um, I burst into tears this week when I hugged a friend. Oh, <laughs> wait, you hugged somebody? This is the big news. This okay, is the big tell news. me about so this. I have tell been in hardcore lockdown. I have been by myself since March. I am getting my groceries delivered. Like, I'm the only person in LA who didn't have a summer. I'm not hopping on planes. I am fully recognizing the pandemic in the air around us. Yeah. Um, so it's been lonely. It's been really lonely. And I've been thinking a lot about loneliness as a result. And a friend of mine asked if I wanted to go for a walk. And people, when they try to get me to do things, it's never like, join my pod and just come hang out. It's like, let's go for a five mile hike. Let's go to the beach. Let's, and I'm like, I'm still the same person. Like the pandemic didn't turn me into an outdoorsy. I'm not a health nut now suddenly. Yeah. yeah like recognize who you're talking, who you're speaking to. First of all, come correct. I've been trying to take care of myself, but I don't want the hike that I'm on to be where I discover that I can't take a deep breath after two minutes. Like I'd like to discover that in the comfort of my own home. Let me wake up in bed and like on the and turn over wrong. And then all of a sudden I can't move because I'm paralyzed from the waist down. Like that's how I want to find out. Not like hiking <laughs> up Runyon. <laughs> that like your muscles have atrophied to the point where nothing works anymore. Like oh you need God. to find that out in where an ambulance is possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm like, so this one friend was like, look, let's go for a walk in the city. Like we're not hiking up it. Like let's just go for a lap around like, a park. Like just kind of a nice walk, a leisurely okay. walk. So that's what we did. And I masked up and I had my filters in and I was, you know, listening to Pulp on the way there. And I was like getting jazzed. Mm -hmm. So we go for this walk and we were in Culver City. And it was terrifying because I parked near the main drag and every restaurant had 45 tables in front of it filled to the brim with people who were not wearing masks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're eating. Yeah. You're also sitting three feet away from somebody who's also not wearing a mask. Like, it's not a surprise to me that the numbers are rising all over the place because everyone thinks that they're like in some like there's some boy in the bubble action going on. And I'm yeah. like, it's not it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So we walk past and it freaked me out. So we very quickly got to a place where there was just no people. Walked around this park, had a really nice conversation, got back to our cars. And since we were both masked, and this is a friend who quarantines like exactly the same way I do. Right. So I was like, you know what? We're wearing masks. And it just felt natural like to give each other a hug goodbye. And it was the first time I've had human contact since February. Yeah. So friend leaves, gets into their car. And I get into my car and the next pulp song that was playing is was Babies. Oh, God, that's like one of my favorites. Like, such a tender song. Anyway. I know. 
but after that, I just I burst into tears. I just started crying my eyes out because I was like, what's happening to me? And then I'm like, oh, it's because I actually had like a good day in human contact. And I allowed myself to kind of feel something for the first time in months. And it was really freaky. Yeah, I hate I I fucking hate we're at this point, right? It is. It's sad. It's sad to not to even when you're in proximity to other people to not be able to like fully express yourself. It sucks. Yeah. So stop traveling. Stop going to brunch. Stop going. You're not going to see your family for the holidays. There's New Year's is canceled. Christmas is canceled. Everything is canceled. <laughs> Please yeah. just stay at fucking home. Well, and the problem is, is that as much as you feel like you can be okay, it's like you just don't know what other people are doing. And it's shocking right. the way that certain people just sort of forget that they're not doing the right thing. Like people who will like just yeah, eat inside of a restaurant. Okay, let me yeah. just tell you, I've not eaten inside of a restaurant since, you know, late February, maybe. But my my party line still is that I am not trying to be around anybody that I don't know without a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm in, I'm with my family, obviously we're in the same house. We're cool. But I don't want to be in a, in a situation where I have to remove my mask around a stranger. So I'm like, definitely not going to eat inside a restaurant. No. Don't even really eat outside of restaurants because of the idea that you have to remove your mask at some point, you know, <laughs> around something. It doesn't even matter if they're indoors or outdoors. It's just sort of like they're. It's like, I don't know you. I don't know what your life is like. You're maybe you're still going and doing shooters at the bar every Friday night. Who the fuck knows? But it's like, yeah, it's hard because it's like nobody wants this. Obviously, everybody wants to hug and be around family and do the things that they want to do. But it's like it will never end if this doesn't work. Like, it's just it's never going to end. It's never going to end if everyone keeps doing this. Well, just this one little thing, because it's never just that one little thing. Every time you come into contact with people, it's a super spreader event. So (laughs) you can't just have this one little thing right now. We're not there yet. One of my friends posted um, my friend Monica. She's a writer. She lives in England and she posted on Instagram something about how um, she misses like just making out with people in bars. And I was like, fuck, I haven't even thought of that. That's my only move. My only move is like, let's kiss. We're drunk. I have no other moves. That's just like completely (laughs) taking me out at the knees. I wish that was my move in a bar. Mine is like (laughs) me carrying all my records in. Hey, I'm here to DJ the event. Like, I don't even get to be a participant. I'm just like working tonight. I don't even want to go to bars anymore. And I miss it. It's hard. It's hard. And it's like I, I, my moves are all and we'll talk about this more as we get into to my film pick for this week. But oh, good. my my moves are all old man moves. Like my my ex-husband used to make fun of me when I'd like try to come on to him. And he's like, you're like the old man in the club who's like, holla, 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 holla. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> I'll tell you, my first move is buy some rapid testing kits. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, so that's the thing, too, is like, yo, is that like, have we killed like hookups, right? Like, are hookups still happening? I feel yes. like I know a couple people that are doing it. So, yes, and that's part of the problem because people are so <laughs> horned up that they're like, it's worth risking COVID <laughs> to get this, get this D, get this God, P. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. I, 
I don't even I can't even imagine like I like I I constantly think I have COVID like I constantly yeah. think that so I'm like there's no way like I won't if I if I can't even like hover outside of like a Shake Shack waiting for a pickup order with my mask on there's no way I can't even mm-hmm. let anybody in the apartment like no oh not, you know what I did as soon as I hugged my friend I got in my car I cried and when I stopped crying. I booked myself an appointment at Dodger Stadium for a fucking yeah. COVID test on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you got that Sean Penn test? That yeah. Sean Penn COVID test? <laughs> Me and Sean Penn are like this when it comes to that test. Because every time I leave my house, I go get one. I know. I was what? like, Sean Penn wants to make sure that if you've hugged somebody, you get a test. And don't tell Sean Penn if you're boning, because that's not what that, that, that site is for. That's not for <laughs> cavalier boning tests. I want to That's confess really... all my COVID sins to Sean Penn. <laughs> Where do I go do that? But how are you doing this week? Other than, and I, I will say that the, um, the things that have helped me in, in this week in thinking about loneliness a lot is uh, there's a podcast by Brene Brown called Unlocking Us, and she has an an episode with um, Vivek Murthy, Doctor Vivek Murthy, who used to be the Surgeon General, and he has a book out about this kind of thing, and it's just it was a really good conversation that kind of helped me put some stuff in place in my head that's Um, good yeah and then there's also um the ologies podcast uh has a double feature episode about fear and it was really illuminating like just kind of your your fight or flight response because i you know i don't want to have to go get a covid test every time i go out to get my mail so it kind of talks about fear and kind of you know what's factual and what's fiction and those are good things to listen to if you're feeling this kind of anxiety yourself or if you're feeling like this loneliness that you can't quantify. Like, just yeah. don't be afraid to, like, find things to listen to or read or make you feel better about where we are, because we're going to be here for a long time, guys. So speaking of, um, you know, dealing with stress and trauma and anxiety, are you still listening to your call map? Yes. And and let me, me I got to I got to talk about this app because. Okay. So first of all, I know that there are very, there, there's a multitude of meditation slash white noise apps out there. I've tried probably all of them. So the Calm app has these like sleep stories. If you have it, I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about. They're kind of like bedtime stories for adults. Which <laughs> They're great. I love are, the Matthew McConaughey yeah, one. <laughs> I, I will say initially... I had my hater hat on where I was like, sleep stories for adults. Come on. Are we this again? Like we're doing this like kid shit where we're like, let's open a grilled cheese restaurant and like, you know, (laughs) have bedtime stories for adults. Like I was like hating ass hater about it. And then. Let's open a grilled cheese restaurant. You know what I mean. Let's have a peanut butter and jelly restaurant, guys. (laughs) Like, it's like one of my, one of my pet peeves is like, you know, everything from my childhood is now like a business idea that I have right. to experience. And I'm like, no. Okay. Exactly. Like, I was like 45 when I was eight. So I don't Same. have a lot of fondness for my childhood and I don't need to like eat the food from the childhood every day. Whatever. With you. Uh, <laughs> I but feel what, like what, you know what, what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Seven years old watching Golden Girls every Saturday. Golden Girls, Empty Nest, Amen. Like, you, you know, did the whole yeah. Saturday night roll. Yep. Um, two, two, seven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all of these people, I want to be all of them. Yeah. I thought, oh, totally. I thought Sandra was too sexy when I was a kid. I'm like, why are her dresses so tight? She like <laughs> made me nervous because she was too sexy. So, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm inherently wary of a bedtime story for adult. However, I get in there and I'm like, all right, 
I need some sleep. I need something. I, I can't have silence. So let me give this a whirl. Okay. It started with Matthew McConaughey. So Matthew McConaughey reads a story in the, in the calm app. And I don't even know what it is. Like, I think somebody else writes the story and then they just get the celebrity to read it. But like, whatever the shit was that he was saying sounded great. And he had this, yeah. like, he was speaking in his, like, not his crazy, you know, McConaughey in Magic Mike voice. It was like his, like, super chill, like, sleepy Southern guy voice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, sleep me away, Sandman. Here I am. That's that's what caught me on that app. Because I'm like, I like, like, the mud Matthew McConaughey and not the Wolf of Wall Street Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I need, like, Rust Cole. If he's going to read me a bedtime story about time as a flat circle or whatever, fuck it i'm there so then at some point i was like all right i'm like the mcconaughey thing i gotta like take a pause on the mcconaughey thing let's see what else is going on here then i saw that harry styles reads a bedtime story now i am too old for harry styles let's just put that out there like referentially one direction I don't even know anything about One Direction. Same. Did not pick a song out of a lineup. Don't know what their speaking voices sound like. Yeah. The only uh, the only thing I knew about any of the members of One Direction was that one sang on a Usher remix or something like that. Like that's the only thing I knew about <laughs> One Direction. And I and I I definitely feel like they're they're of age where I could have had them as a child. Like they're like yes. that amount where I'm like. You know, if I got knocked up when I was like 19 years old, I could have like a Harry Styles age child right now or whatever. Um, exactly. I don't know how precise that math is, but that's kind of how I just feel that way. Right. So, yeah, I'm like, OK, he's British. Let's give it a whirl. It'll like I don't know if it's going to be like a precocious child British thing or is it going to be like something else? So then I start listening to it and I'm like, oh, this is like sexy. <laughs> sexy intentionally or just because he is sexy like i don't know you go, what, did you go into this expecting like veruca salt to be reading this in her like bratty british voice and then you're like wait dude's got some some chill <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't i don't know if i was expect yeah it was either like veruca salt or like sir anthony hopkins i don't know who i was expecting <laughs> But it was like this thing where he's like, hello, I'm here to read you a bedtime story. And then it it's like the the text of the story is like this weird kind of like we're we're like traversing this like LSD soaked like fantasy world and we're holding hands and we're like in the heather, like touching each other. And I was like, whoa, this is, is this- crazy. How is this going to get anyone to sleep? This is like most meditation shit where I'm like, wait, now I'm paying attention to why are we in the Heather? Why are we in space? What's I'm not sleeping at this point. I'm not even ramping down at this point. My mind is going crazy. Yeah. And then, of course, I'm like, so now I got to look up fucking Harry Styles. Now I got to look up and see what this guy's all about. So he's putting me to sleep every night. And like, why am I like in love with him now? I don't know why, because he's definitely too young for me but it's that weird thing where i was like did he just trick me into falling in love with him this motherfucker right here you know like (laughs) you're supposed to be sleeping and instead you're scrolling on your phone being like "Hmm, harry styles at the met gala i like that outfit Hmm, it is the ultimate switcheroo (laughs) 
the call map has fucked up. <laughs> I know. Us. Because it's like planning these subliminal messages in our head that's like, you will be in love with Harry Styles and you will be up until five o'clock in the morning looking at the 74th Instagram fan account for him. You know, I'm just like, and then you're going to start answering memes like, what Harry Styles are you? And I'm like, I, I don't even know what eras he's had. So I guess <laughs> I'm just something, but I need to know the answer. They could tell you, like, you're Swamp Thing Harry Styles. And you'll be like, yeah, sure. He went through a Swamp Thing phase. Sure. I must have missed it. I mean, I is it? working my full I just time, feel like it's not, week job. Yeah. It's just, like, not fair to make someone fall in love with a, a celebrity because they've read them a bedtime story. Yeah, that's cruel. It's I feel cruel. like that's mean. It's but mean. It and happened. especially him. Especially him. Because I could have lived the rest of my life never knowing anything about Harry Styles or One Direction. And he hopped on my radar. And I'm telling you, there's something about that that dude where I just I love that he's kind of, you know, he's messing around with gender and messing love around it. with like and his voice isn't bad. I heard that watermelon sugar song. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I'm there, but I get it. Yeah. Now, at least I can get it. Because at first I'm like, he's like 10. I don't even want to think about this. <gasps> I know. Now I get it. He's he's and he's also one he's interesting to me because he's one of these boy banders who could have gone a very different way because I yeah. think he was always like the cute one like the front you know he was like the the Jordan Knight of yeah. One Direction the Jordan Knight slash Justin Timberlake of exactly it. yeah picker so boy I think band he could have gone a very different way and I like that he kind of whatever path he took took him here like that's interesting and cool and I listen to his album now so. I'm, I've got I'm like, some oh, songs. I listen to him now. Okay, cool. Some songs on a playlist, and I there was that article in the cut a, a little while ago about him feeding his car broke down, and then he like went to a house for help, and he fed one of his fans fish. Yeah, like he fed her fish while she was gone, and there's just a picture of him like sprinkling breadcrumbs or whatever fish eat into the, <laughs> into the tank. I'm real smart, guys. Whatever fish eat. <laughs> bodies of other fish like can't i don't know they're cannibals flakes. he's sprinkling <laughs> some flakes in there and i'm like that is also it's so great from a pr perspective but it's so mean because like you're a fan and he was in your room and at your house and you weren't there that is the most devastating thing i've ever heard i'm i'll tell you right now i mean i was a huge nukes on the block fan and if Jonathan Knight, who is my my favorite member of Nukes on the Block. That says so much about you. I know. Keep going. Trust me, that has been said to me a hundred times by people. They're like, oh, you like Jonathan Knight? Duly noted. I get it. I get Um, it. (laughs) But if I had some record of Jonathan Knight appearing in my fucking bedroom, even when I was there, but just the idea that he could even be in my town, let alone my house, would have destroyed me. For the rest yeah. of my life, I would have been. I would. I don't even know if I'd be here right now. I would just be a completely different person. I would have burned that house to the ground. You don't get over <laughs> that. She's never Ever. getting over that. Like, Ever. I guarantee there's a story out there about like 15 year old girl commits arson because her dad didn't text that Harry Styles was in her bedroom. Yeah, I mean, listen, if that was me, I just wouldn't be able to function. Like it no. just, it would be like a before Christ, after Christ scenario. Like I wouldn't be able to deal with it. <laughs> It's a delineation so. of time. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. But yeah. that that does kind of segue or at least go nicely into our theme this week. Yes. So we're doing a recurring segment called Horny Four, which basically means people that we're just attracted to and want to talk about. And our first Horny Four 
is a man that you all know if you've had salad dressing in the past 25 years, if you've had organic popcorn in the past 25, 30 years. We're talking about the one and only Paul Newman. And how to even begin to talk about Paul Newman's truly timeless attractiveness. Yeah. Like, dare I say, he was hot his entire fucking life. Beginning to end. And Danielle and I have picked two movies that I think really represent that spectrum. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I I know what you're saying. <laughs> Do I know what you're saying? I almost picked Road to Perdition, his literal last movie, because he was so hot in that movie. Like, and we, you know... Google exists like you guys can look him up if if you don't know who he is. I would hope that you know who he is simply because he did become kind of a cultural icon. Like even after he was, you know, in his prime, quote unquote, like he was, you know, making like food and donating all the profits to charity. And, you know, he was so iconic. I'm sorry. Can I can I interrupt to make one suggestion to the audience? Look up Paul Newman at the Venice Film Festival. You will not regret it. Paul Newman at the Venice? What, what year? year? I don't even think you need a year. Just look it up. Oh, just all years. <laughs> See, he that's gets what I'm off a about. boat. He's bearded. It's powerful. Okay, I'm gone. Our producer, Lauren, knows what's up. That's what, that was a good Yeah, button. I'm actually going to butt in, too. Uh, engineer here, there. It literally prompted it on Google as 1963. Like, it, like people have done this. I'm serious. So it's okay. It's ready for this you. This is real. This is a team that is committed to the theme. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> Thank you, Annalise. Thank you, Lauren. I feel seen, basically. Yeah, I feel I feel comforted. I feel cradled yeah. because this is hard. It's hard to talk about your horniness for someone who's dead and old and man like a man but i also think being horny for people you know obviously it doesn't require anything like it's just sort of like who you think is hot and it's going to be everybody as a recurring segment it will be literally everybody <laughs> literally everybody. <laughs> you, you should see the spreadsheet yeah. guys you should see we may the even venture into so inanimate worry. objects so this week my film that best represents the horny for Paul Newman theme is a movie from 1963 called HUD, directed by Martin Ritt. I'll bring you a two-pound box of candy and maybe a bottle of perfume from the drugstore. Oh, thanks. I've done my time with one cold-blooded bastard. I'm not looking for another. It's too late, honey. You already found him. HUD was like one of the first Westerns that I ever saw. And it was one of the first Westerns I ever saw that actually made me love Westerns. Yeah. I mean, I never, I gotta be honest. I never really loved Westerns until like maybe 10, 15 years ago. First of all, the genre in general, you know, seems like very American, very white guy. A lot of Westerns have a lot of problematic stuff when it comes to Native Americans, basically to all races, not just, you know, but like specifically native americans so, and a lot of a lot of misogyny it's like a man's man's genre i mean there's no way that the figurehead of a genre is john wayne and you're not like i don't fuck with that and i didn't for a very long time and i will say that there are probably moments where i might be disassociating from the text quote unquote simply because it doesn't apply to me like 
Yeah. I don't know what it's like to be like a white guy on the frontier, like, you know, shooting Native Americans. Like, it's not, that's not my perspective of the world, obviously. But there is, I have to basically, at some point in my mind, there is some kind of lesson there that I have to like peel away the shitty parts of the fruit almost. But but it's hard for people to do that. And especially if you're just not into it from the jump, like if you're just not, you know? Well, that's a good question, though, is like when when did you first see HUD? Do you remember when you first saw it? And like, when did you start getting into Westerns? Like, how did you if you're someone like me who's like, I don't know. And, you know, maybe some of our listeners are like, I don't know if I should watch this. I'm not into Westerns. Like, how do you break that down a little bit so that you can get into those layers? Because there are a lot of Westerns with great stories. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, for me. I, I got very interested in like later 60s, early 70s Westerns. Um, I feel like most people my age, if they weren't just like growing up with people like John Wayne and like, you know, whoever, Alan Ladd or, you know, those types, then for me, I think a lot of people my age got into Westerns via like the Sam Peckinpah movies, like The Wild Bunch, mm-hmm. and or they got into it via like Clint Eastwood or even like Tombstone or Unforgiven, like 90s Westerns. And for me, yeah, I think I watched later period Westerns, like 60s and 70s Westerns, and that's kind of how I started getting into it. And at that point, the Western was being used as a way to tell the story of America and kind of, and and seeing it as not the good old times, but that it's complicated and fucked up. And like, there's a lot of like bad actors, like actual bad actors in the world, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. So basically I kind of got into Westerns in via like, attempts at kind of subverting the genre type of stuff. So like spaghetti Westerns and like acid Westerns and things that were like coming out in the, like the sixties and seventies that it wasn't John Wayne. And it was more like, you know, the new actors, the counterculture kind of taking the elements of it and telling a different type of story that was traditionally told. So essentially the West, the two Westerns really that kind of got me into them were HUD and this movie called ride the high country, which was, a Sam Peckinpah movie that was made with two old Western stars from the glory era that it was more like a meditation on aging and about how basically they were getting oh. older. And like, you know, it, so it was like a Western that wasn't like the stuff that I had heard about, like the stuff that I thought was boring or racist or whatever, but it's, it's hard. It's like a thing where like, if you just yeah. don't study film or if you don't really know where to look, then that, avenue doesn't present itself to you and you and so i totally understand that's basically what i mean about how westerns are problematic and people are turned off to them but i but i do think that this is important an important conversation because i think i'm really grateful that i got to watch this movie and i did get something different out of it and i would never have known that westerns could be like this and so if you're hesitant about watching something and think like that's not me give it a shot you know like there's a lot to be found in the genre and there's there's a lot of horniness to be found for sure (laughs) and we're not apologizing about that (laughs) this is not like let's try to beef this up with some academia because we're just talking about horniness (laughs) but i think it is interesting that like if that's your entry point that whatever your entry point is it's fine there's a lot of different ways to get into um this genre and that hud is hud is a really good movie i think to bridge that gap because i did not feel like i was watching a you know wpix sunday movie with yeah, my granddad yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, truly. HUD like really changed my mind about all that. And it was for many reasons, but obviously being Paul Newman. Now, it was directed by Martin Ritt, who was a frequent collaborator of Paul Newman's, and they had a production company together. And it was shot by the famous cinematographer, James Wong Howe, who was one of the few Asians that were working in classic Hollywood. And he did like a ton of famous films, and he invented a lot of techniques that basically appear in movies now, like all the time. And he was actually like the first minority cinematographer that was admitted to the ASC, which is the American Society for Cinematographers. And, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And he won like tons of Oscars and he actually did win an Academy Award for HUD. So there you go. Now, the story of HUD comes from this book by Larry McMurtry called Horsemen Pass By. And I've not read the whole book, but I would say it's pretty different, as I'll get into in just a second. Um, so the titular character of this film, HUD, is played by our boy, Paul Newman, and also stars Melvin Douglas as HUD's father, Homer, and has Brandon DeWilda as HUD's nephew, Lonnie, and then the amazing Patricia Neal is their housekeeper, Alma. Now, the movie is about a cattle rancher family in rural Texas, and it's headed by the Melvin Douglas character. And Homer is like an older man who is truly the old school kind of guy that I would say is typical of Westerns. And maybe I think uh, maybe why a lot of people are ultimately fascinated by Westerns, because he's kind of like that character, like a man of few words and few extravagances. And he's principled and simple and wise. And he's just like wants to put in an honest day of work. And he's just like overflowing with integrity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those are the, the the kind of Westerns that my granddad watched every yeah. weekend. And that's why I didn't like Westerns for a long right. time. Because I'm like, why am I going to watch this guy kind of stumbling around being mad all the time? <laughs> so if you have like Homer being this like very much stock Western good, he's like a good guy character. HUD is like the complete opposite. So first of all, we I just have to establish that this man... Paul Newman has many hot eras. We've just talked about this. Like his entire life is a hot era. He was like 37, 38 when he made this movie. And he basically like spends the entire runtime of this film in tight jeans. And you're just like, what? And white tank yeah, tops. And like white tank tops, very like low cut, like doing the low cut tank top before the 90s did it. I mean, honestly, like what is not to love, right? I mean, but here's here's the thing. You are still going to have to convince me about his hotness in this era. Like, because you know what my era sure. is. You don't, you, you listeners, you don't know the movie I'm picking yet, <laughs> but you know what my era is. Sure. So I think, you know, there's there's something about this genre and this era of films that I've always kind of kept at arm's length. And part of it, I think, is because I always expect these films to be racist. Sure. So I'm really, I was like, oh, but Paul Newman's in one and he's kind of a good guy. So like, maybe this is not that... And it isn't, but there's still something that, like, I can't get to the hotness because I'm still stuck on the social and cultural capital of the movie. It is tough as a viewer. And there is something that I'll get to in just a second that is problematic. And but I think it's fascinating. And, you mm. know, it's something that we can get into. But um, here's the thing. He was so basically like in this film. He's a bad boy. 
of the family. And we, and we was, that is, yeah. gets established very quickly in this film. He is like, at the beginning of the film, he's basically having to be ousted out of a married woman's house. And he's smoking and drinking and getting in bar fights. And he's like cocky as hell and argumentative and like hates authority. I mean, you name it. He's like that guy. So he's basically like the complete polar opposite of this Homer character. And you can tell that there's some kind of rift between the two of them. This character, Lonnie, who's the grandson of Homer slash nephew of HUD, who's played by Brandon DeWilda. He was a child actor and he was he was like best known for he was the little kid in this like other really famous Western that also had a guy's first name as the title. Um, this movie called Shane, but he had a short lived career because when he was 30, he actually died in a car accident. And it's a shame because I actually think that Lonnie is the best part of this movie. But that's tragic. Very sad. And um, yeah, so basically, okay, in HUD, Lonnie is supposed to be probably like 17 years old. And the reason why I think he's the best part of this movie is that he's kind of the one that's in the middle of Homer and HUD. Like you can tell. He really cares so much about his grandfather. Right. Like he goes to the movies with him on a Friday night, which is it basically makes me cry every time I watch this movie. Just the idea of the two of them like sitting in the movie theater together. And then there's like, you know, young co-eds like necking around them. And they're and he's totally like, I just like want to be with my grandfather and chill and chill with him, which I swear is so cute and very I know. touching. And um so at the same time, though, he's also completely mesmerized by HUD. Like, he's, he's also a teenager. He's supposed to be, like, 17. He's curious about girls and drinking. And, and like, HUD is, like, his hero. So he's kind of in the, this middle position. And I just think that's a very interesting position to be in as a film character. So. Yeah. Okay. Then you have Alma, who is her housekeeper. Now. She is like one of my favorite characters in all movies. Okay. Like Patricia Neal as yeah. an actress is fantastic. She's she's been in so many things and she's she was actually married to um Roald Dahl, the writer. And in this film, she's just like she's competent, she's wise, she takes no shit. She's like a she's a ball total buster. ball buster, just like a real like southern spitfire type of lady. She's like smoking cigarettes and playing cards on her nights off, and she's like always putting the men in their places. Including HUD, who is constantly yep. trying to seduce her. And she's always barefoot and she's kind of a free spirit. Yes. And, and she reveals a little bit about... Let me just tell you that... I'm just going to button for a second to say there are two moments in this movie that I could have watched forever. In the opening scene, there's a horse standing up on the back of a flatbed pickup truck. I could have followed that horse for <laughs> 7,000 yes. miles. And then Alma's entire story. Her entire story. I mean, she yeah. she's talking about HUD. She calls him a cold-blooded bastard, which I think is fantastic. And, you know, it's just like she's seen some things and you can't. She's wise to your shit, HUD, which is exactly what he needs. Slash drives him insane because no one ever says no to him except for her. Right. And And the thing is, is that Lonnie is also in love with her in a lot of ways because he's like, he thinks of her, though, as somebody to love and to marry. Like, he thinks she's a good woman and, he, you know, not like Hood, who just wants to have a fuck conquest or whatever. Now, here's something that I will say about the book and the movie. And this was uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier about race. So in the book, the character of Alma is actually black. 
1963, apparently, nobody in Hollywood was like ready for HUD to be making moves towards a black woman. Okay. Now, here's the thing about the book, though. In the book, HUD rapes Alma. And afterwards, Alma and Lonnie try to kill him for it. Okay. <laughs> this should have been the, mo- the entire yeah. movie. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. I'd never seen this movie yeah. before. I had no idea. Yeah. And like, listen... I'm not making any excuses for choices that were made about the, telling the story in w- whatever kind of way, but keep in mind, we were still under the production code. So I'm sure none of what mm-hmm. we actually just talked about is, would none of that stuff would fly in a Hollywood movie in that era. Just plain and simple. I mean, That's you true. couldn't even That's like true. have sex on film, let alone, you know. So it's problematic, but I think it's interesting to know that that's what the yeah. actual story is. And just about the tone of the time where it was just sort of like unheard of for people to be like, Oh, HUD, like this, this housekeeper was black and HUD would, you know, be in love with her essentially. Right. It's crazy. That makes me want to know a little bit more about Larry McMurtry. I know. And you know, like I said, I haven't read the entire book, but it's, um, it's interesting. He's probably somebody to research too. Um, at any rate, eventually it's revealed that there's some trouble at the ranch with the cattle that the families own. And the cows are sick. And if the cows are sick, then that's their entire livelihood and way of life. I mean, if you're a rancher, that's it, right? So, of course, in the film, HUD wants to take the easy way out. He just wants to sell off the animals and not tell anybody that they're sick and just cut their losses and just cash the check, right? But the grandfather obviously wants to do the honorable thing because he raised all those animals himself and he's got pride in his work and he wants to do the thing where he wants to make sure that they're tested by the state veterinarian he wants to go through the proper channels and quarantine the animals right so that the disease mm-hmm. doesn't spread and it's sound just familiar? a back of, yeah exactly right <laughs> uh, sound familiar guys yeah, there's a lot of tension there when somebody wants to quarantine and somebody doesn't um, and yeah, tensions really flare. He is what we would call a classic movie fuckboy. He's very, <laughs> very much like an asshole. And he, even in his moments of like a, but I actually might be a good person or something, he still like completely destroys it by being a dick. The funny thing is that when this movie came out in like 1963, <laughs> America was basically obsessed with bad boys or they were just about they were getting into the bad boy thing you know stuff like easy rider would be coming out like a couple years down the horizon and the craziest thing is that essentially when hud came out kids fucking loved this guy they were like hell yeah hud stick it to the man hud don't get no fucking tests for those cows hud you know as opposed to being like Wait, this guy's kind of psycho, right? Like he doesn't, he's like a sociopath that doesn't care about anything. Right. No, they were like, this guy is fucking awesome. He's such a badass. This is the the ramp up period to like countercultural right. norms. And really. the funniest thing in the world is that even Paul Newman himself, Paul Newman and Martin Ritt, the two people that, you know, made the movie were like, you are not supposed to like HUD, okay? We intentionally <laughs> made him an immoral, repugnant asshole 
right? Because we were trying to send a message about like capitalism and blind idol worship. Like we're trying to do a thing here. We're not, you're not supposed to love him and think he's cool. Well, you know where they, you know where they fucked up? What? They put that character in Paul Newman's body. That's exactly my last point. (laughs) Ultimately, it's because the whole reason why people loved HUD and why this movie made a lot of money and why it was a success for him and helped him continue his career is because Paul Newman is too hot and charming to be truly bad. His hotness backfired on him in HUD. There's this one line that he says um, when he's fighting with Homer and he says, I just naturally had to go bad in the face of so much good. You can't look like Paul Newman and say that and expect people to not like the bad guy. The the only way to encapsulate it is HUD's gonna HUD. <laughs> HUD's gonna HUD. <laughs> HUD's gonna There's HUD. literally nothing else you can say. I get it. I like... This is my... This is this. is I'm glad you brought this up, though, because this is also my issue going into this thinking about him as a hot guy at this age because i think it's not his look like his look is toys like i get that that he looks very handsome it's that that all that bad boy ethos and all the stuff that came with it that i thought like i don't know if i like that part of him right even though it's an act and even though like you know he's a good actor and what have you like that is that is so repellent to me that i don't instantly find horniness or hotness can live there for me but paul newman is the great destructor <laughs> of all theories. yeah he was pretty goddamn hot in this movie. yeah he's a problematic hottie for sure i mean like he does terrible yeah. things and you know obviously you know where his character is actually capable of if you read the book but it's like yeah i mean ultimately like the era if you basically strip away this entire story and you just have paul newman in jeans on a on a dusty ranch in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, hello. That's my thing. But as we'll see, like he he can be so we can establish that he can be a terrible person and people will still think he's cool. He's just eternally hot. And then even in the film that you're about to talk about, like he also has a scamp likeness to him, but still charming and still hot. My movie in the horny for Paul Newman genre takes a sharp detour. (laughs) My movie is Nobody's Fool. It came out in 1994, directed by Robert Benton. Paul Newman. How about you and me go out there and get ourselves naked and then just see what happens? Okay. 60 years old, still getting crushes on other men's wives. I would hope by the time I'm your age, I'm a little smarter than that. Can't hurt your hope. Sure off to a slow start. So the one thing I want to say off the top is that Robert Benton is huge in this industry. He wrote and directed Kramer versus Kramer and The Late Show, which is a personal favorite yep, of ours. Yeah, we talk about it. Yep. <laughs> talk about it. And he also wrote Bonnie and Clyde, which I had no idea that he wrote that. So he um he took this book by Richard Russo, who was an incredible writer. Who he won the the Pulitzer in two thousand two for Empire mm-hmm. Falls, and he's just such a great writer. And and so Benton kind of took this book the year after it was released in nineteen ninety three and turned it into this great movie starring Paul mm. Newman. Paul Newman in this movie is sixty nine years old when he filmed this. <laughs> yep. Which trust me, I did. I'm not letting that one slide. <laughs> The toddler in me will not let that one go. But yeah, so I think that what, what's what's attractive to me about this movie, just on the face of it, even before we get into horniness, is that 
Richard Russo um, was raised in upstate New York and I was raised in upstate New York. So I grew up in a town called Warwick, Warwick, New York. It's in Orange County. And there's so much about this movie, the vibe of it and the feel of it. It's set in winter, so it's very snowy. Um, but the people also, and I think that that's indicative of Russo's writing, but it really comes through in this movie that this is a special, weird, small place. And that is what upstate New York has always felt yeah, like to Yeah, I was going to say, I have never been to upstate New York I find it so fascinating and I feel like there's, and this movie really, I've never seen this movie before, by the way. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was a joy to watch. I love when this happens. It's like playing chess against Bobby oh, Fischer. Shut up. But you know what I mean. Like it's, it's that thing where I'm like, I, I find it like, I love movies like this that are just about like small towns and like the characters of small towns. And like, I'm from the South. So it's like, I like, so the Southern Gothic literary tradition is basically the same thing where it's just like people living in a small town and the, everybody knows each other. And it's kind of like the quirkiness of characters. But like, so I wanted to ask you, you, this was your experience growing up, like in the same way where there was like a lawyer with one leg and like the, the snowplow fights and all that stuff. I mean, it just felt like so cozy to me. And I was kind of jealous almost. I'm like, God, Daniel got to experience any of that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an artist Hamlet in my town called Sugarloaf. And it's like, you know, small buildings where you work and live there. And like, I buy, I still buy my candles from the Sugarloaf Candle Company because they have the scent of my youth, you know? And like these, there are characters in all of these towns. And that is what this brought out to me. This movie is just, there are characters and there's always going to be people in your town. If you grew up in a small town that you're going to wonder as a kid, how did that guy get that yeah. way? And this is the kind of story that brings out the notions of, of how does someone have a full life in the same place right. and still remain a mystery yeah. to some people. So this was, yeah, this is very, very upstate New York. And it also felt like um, I lived in Rhode Island for a few years and it felt like a, like a Rhode Island kind of mill town as well. Like that where the houses were structured, but it is, it's like, there's no new builds in the middle yeah. of town. It's all old houses. It's all detail oriented. Like people keep them up. They keep them in their family. Yeah. It's very, you know, kind of not Victorian gingerbready, but it's very, um, it's just small town, small town, truly middle-class ways yeah. of living. So Paul Newman plays this character named Sully, Sully, um, D Donald Sullivan, but they call him Sully. And he lives with, <laughs> he lives with his, his grade school teacher, who's played by Jessica Tandy. And this is Je actually Jessica Tandy's yeah. last movie. And he lives with her in her big old sprawling house. And it's just normal. Like they have their own little relationship where they're both kind of aging. And but he's still charged with kind of taking care of stuff. Like she's harping on him the whole movie to fix the banister. And they have this relationship that is not shaped by who he was as a kid, but is somehow there's an understanding of who he is as mm -hmm. an adult. And that happens in small towns where you can know someone intimately. And even if you hate them, even if you disagree with them, you're always going to be around that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to find a way yeah. to live with them. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, like these little moments in the movie that really drive that home in such subtle in interesting ways. So Sully's is kind of, um, he's crabby. He's a crabby dude with a limp and he's, he's been injured on the job. He's, he's the kind of guy who's like, 
he doesn't really punch a clock. Like he's always just kind of picked up work because he knows people who own yeah. businesses. And um, he does rough labor. Like he does, you know, he's clear, clearing out bricks out of houses and, you know, doing construction work essentially um, under the table. And um, yeah, so he kind of, you know, he, there's these these small moments in the movie where you see this kind of crotchety, crabby dude interacting with everyone else in this town who's also been there forever. Yeah. And he doesn't seem he's in he's in the rhythm of it. He's not upset with it. Like he's not like, oh, I should have gotten out of here. Like there's no regret. This is not a regret filled right. story. It's just you're watching people get by. And I love that. I love that so much. So you, he was he's fighting with um, Bruce Willis plays um, Carl. Yeah. In this movie. <laughs> And this is truly to me like the one of the only roles where I feel like Bruce Willis was made for like this real shitty like construction owner kind of Trump dude who like inherited a business and is like running it into the ground and fucking around on his wife. He's Melanie Griffith plays his wife, yeah. Toby, and he's just a shithead. I'm skipping Bruce Willis and I'm going right into 69 year old <laughs> Paul Newman who's playing a surly grandpa. Who doesn't even know he's a grandpa, which is one of the funniest parts of this movie to me, is that as you learn more about Sully's life, you realize that he had his own bad childhood that he's contending with, but he also was a horrible father. Like he left his family when his son was one years old. And they, even though they lived in the same town, they did not have a relationship. So he's hitchhiking on the way back into town for, you know, during Thanksgiving. And his son just happens to drive by with his family, his wife and his two kids, and picks up his like hitchhiking granddad. And that's how he meets his his yeah. grandsons. So he's that disconnected from, you know, his own family and his own life. And he's made he's made his world very small, but it works for him. So he has, you know, um, like Pruitt Taylor Vince plays. Uh, I think his name in the movie is Rub, which is an incredible character. Truly. <laughs> So Rub is like his sidekick who works with him on these odd jobs. Um, it kind of sees him as a father figure, but Sully doesn't want to be anyone's dad. Yeah. So that relationship is tense to begin with. But it's very like, you know, diner culture. Yeah. Um, like it's it's very, very upstate New York, this movie. And it's just such a vibe. Like I watch it every winter, especially since I moved to L.A. Because I'm like, this is what winter should yeah. be. <laughs> this is what it always was when I was growing up. and. Oh, I just I miss it. I miss it. But I think part of the reason why I picked this as my horny for movie is that elder statesman Paul Newman has chemistry with Everyone. everybody. I know. Everybody. This man is 69 years old, putting the Mac on Melanie Griffith. He's putting the Mac on Toby and she's into into it. She's like, I'm in this horrible marriage with this guy who cheats on me in broad daylight all the time. I'm going to flirt with oh, Sully. Yeah. She is like, she's got two tickets to paradise, Eddie Money style. She's like, it's let's go. <laughs> like, I'm ready to run away with you, start a new life with you. <laughs> and and we're all like, yeah. of course, who would not? Well, that's the thing. It's like, it does. It's not gross. In any other instance where I see a 69 year old man in a you know late 20s, early yeah. 30s woman, I'm like, oh, what dude wrote this? This is horrible. In this movie, it fucking works. Yeah. Like he has chemistry with everybody in that movie. Yeah. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me. Fascinating. So that's part of the reason I picked it. But I think it's also that like, I think it's that there's these, these moments of tenderness where like he will run 
um, out of his house in his stocking feet in the snow to help redirect the woman in town who has dementia, who's wandering the streets. And it's just kind of what you do when you live in those towns. Like if you see something, you do something and you kind of know everybody. So there's this tenderness to him and you see him opening up a little bit like in his own way um, around his grandkids and his his son and kind of just reckoning with his own life. But yeah, I think he really I I think part of it is just that I I did not have a relationship with my dad, but I loved my granddad. So old dudes are hot to me. I don't know. (laughs) My granddad wasn't hot to me. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that, like, in the grand scheme of things, Paul Newman hit my radar when he was 69. (laughs) Like, I didn't care about young. I found out he was hot when he was young. Yeah. But he hit my radar at 69. Most people are age. We probably saw him in like the color of money or something like we would say we were seeing him in the 80s and 90s. So we actually didn't even know that he had had any movie. like I didn't certainly know about like the Tennessee Williams movies he was in. Like, I didn't know any of that. So. Right. And what's also what's fascinating to me, too, or what's, you know, just incredibly interesting to me is that um, I was reading that book, Furious Love, about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor's yeah. relationship and which is a Got doozy. A, like, uh, yeah, you... I'm upset. I'm obsessed with the two of them. <laughs> I haven't read Furious Love, though. So it's a really it's a it's a very well written book and well researched. And I like the way they kind of put the story together. But one thing that stuck out to me is the way that Richard Burton and, you know, Paul Newman was acting around the same time. And um, he did Ken on a hot tin roof with Elizabeth Taylor, but Burton comes from a theater background. So when he hit movies, he was just chewing up scenery left and right. Cause it's not, you know, theater is not quiet. Theater is very, you know, project your voice and reach your audience. Movies are not that way. And I think it was, it's kind of cool that Paul Newman has had, the longevity of a career that he's had because you could see that change in him. So you watch something like HUD where he's very theaterish, like he's a kind of a theater actor in Mm -hmm. that movie. And then you watch something like nobody's fool and it's so subtle. And the fact that he could do that and that he could maintain that speaks volumes about him as an actor and as a person. Yeah. He doesn't have to be, there's certainly some actors out there that are basically like themselves in every movie. And you can really tell that or they're kind of just I hate to say one note because it sounds like pejorative, but it maybe maybe it is. But it's like that thing where you're like, oh, he can like he's an actual actor like he can adjust himself and has done so yes. through the years. Yeah, I I thought this movie was so charming. The funny thing is, is that when when I saw that it was a Robert Benton movie, I was like, oh, well, there's that's why there's divorce in it. I mean, because I figured, oh, there are scenes in this movie that remind me a lot of Kramer versus Kramer, especially with the kid and like, Mm -hmm. you know, with the dad. And, you know, you're right. There's like these tender moments in this movie where he realizes, oh, maybe I have a second chance with the grandson. Like I fucked up with the son, but now I have kind of a reason to be around and I, you know, and I love when he like lets him drive the car and stuff. I mean, it's just like that kind of stuff oh. is so endearing to me. And yeah, that yeah. scene is like my, my heart beats so hard for that scene. Cause that is such a country thing to do. Yeah. Like that is what we did in the back. My, my town had two stoplights in it. So awesome. Like you could definitely crawl over the, the bench seat and, you know, hop on your mom's lap and pretend to drive. And it was just, <laughs> yeah, it's like, and there's uh, one cop and it's Philip Seymour Hoffman. And like the, his boss is like, man, fuck off. Like, you know, like 
Like you need to calm down and realize where yeah. you live. I we have to talk about Phil, a young Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman in this movie. I know. Such a great character. I still, my heart breaks when I, I see him, even still in film. He's given us so much. He gave us so many incredible movies, but I still, it hurts. It hurts. But he is absolutely hilarious, is, you know, as the friction, the friction that he and Sully have is also very small yeah. town. Like Sully's kind of the, like, I've been here way longer right. than you. You don't tell me what to do, even if you're yeah, a cop. Exactly. And he also, like, he plays poker every night with the chief of police. And in that small amount of time, small towns have changed. They're not like that anymore, really. There's an air of that. There's, like, a little bit of that sometimes. But that's not... Like, when I was a teenager and I went, you know, to get my first job and, you know, when I got my working papers and I was ready to go. And my grandma's like, oh, you should just go up the street. And um, there was a cafe called Lovey's. And she's like, you should just go and and ask Lovey for a job because, you know, we play play bingo together. And she was telling me she was looking for someone for weekends Mm -hmm. the other day. Like, it's that kind of place that sometimes those things still happen. But that was the whole vibe of the whole town. And it's for better and for worse. Yeah. Because people know your business, but people also know your fucking business. (laughs) It's like, it's for better and for worse. For sure. The best part of that movie to me is when they let Paul Newman's character out of jail to be a pallbearer for a funeral. And like the, one of the, and ah. one of the pallbearers is like, gotta love a small town, letting a guy out of jail to be a pallbearer at a funeral. I was like, that is literally the greatest oh, line God. and just perfectly encapsulates this whole movie. You know what I mean? Compl- even the, the fact that he, he went, they let him go to the bar and have a beer and then walk himself to jail <laughs> no. across the street. Like that whole jail experience is so good. It's so good. Oh my god! I know. I, just, I love it's so it. charming. And like, and so, do you think that how like and knowing that this story, or at least this the sort of place, the time and place of this movie, is so relevant to you and how you grew up? Do you think that it would have? Do you think that Sully would have been at all as charming if it was? If it was Richard Burton or another actor, like I don't even think Richard Burton was alive, but you know what I mean. Just like if it was somebody else but Paul yeah. Newman, would it have been good? You know? Nope. Flat out, categorically, no. Nope. Right. This is also interesting to me yeah. about himself. Like he he let himself age on yeah. screen, so you could see how he could play these different levels and reach. And that kind of is the charm that that he carried with him throughout every right. movie, right? And just because that's who he was was a charming dude. Um, or seem to be, but this guy played by anyone else is a motherfucker. Because yeah. again, like this this guy in real life does not have any charm. Yeah, he's mean. He kicks your car if you park too close to him. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like, you know, mean drunk. This guy. And yeah, so, I totally agree. I mean, I totally agree. It. I I feel like it goes back to maybe what we were saying earlier about how Paul Newman really is like. America's sweetheart like it's like that thing where you're like he couldn't even play like even when he is the surliest even when he's in like slap shot or he's like in nobody's fool you still love that motherfucker it doesn't matter like even if he's grouchy and grumpy and does bad things and makes poor choices you're like uh but he's still hot like and he's still charming and he's he's still still wonderful you know a slap shot is one of my favorite all-time favorite movies yeah and I came to it later in life. I think I watched it for the first, way after Nobody's Fool. I think because Nobody's Fool came out 
when I was 16. Yeah. I remember renting it on VHS. I love it. <laughs> Memories. But I saw Slapshot much later and I'm like, this guy is like a dick bag in both movies I've seen him in, but he's really funny. Like he's really, he's so comical. Yeah. And I think again, it's just like, it's to his credit as an actor that he's able to fucking do right. that. That he's able to flip that switch. I can't think of anyone today who does well, that. Well, no, and like the only person I think that even would come close to playing this character in his older age like this is like Jack Nicholson. But Jack Nicholson isn't even this charming. Jack Nicholson, when he's playing the like as good as it gets guy, is an asshole. And you're like, he's just an asshole, you know? And it's like, yep. yeah, okay, eventually he'll like charm his way into the heart but it's like no there's a there's a difference between paul newman being an asshole and somebody else being an asshole i mean as good as it gets asshole which is of eastwick asshole the departed asshole a few you good can't men do it. asshole a few good men <laughs> he can't do it he, he can't, can't do it no one can do it can't like be newman. A lovable can't be a lovable asshole like paul newman can be so that's a testament and there's also like the what the thing we haven't talked about yet is his physicality Let's do it. Um, he seemed like he was a short guy, but his eyes, and I'm sure there have been sonnets written about this man's face. <laughs> I wrote them. His eyes, as <laughs> you've got a whole folder <laughs> yeah. and a trapper yeah. keeper. <laughs> I have never in my life been attracted to an eyeball and that I, than I have oh, in yeah. his face. Like his, especially as he ages, like his face becomes so... His face is like a work of art and his eyes are just like jewels shining in this like kind of wrinkly, saggy yeah. sort of, oh God, it just yeah, does Yeah, and it he fun. has this like athleticism to him, which like even in his old age, like even when he, in Nobody's Fool, when he's hobbling around because he has a leg injury that he hasn't addressed or whatever, like he's still... He doesn't seem old. He always seems really spry and, you know, he was fit. Like he's he was fit and that's probably mm -hmm. why he lived as long as he did. And, you know, he was he's got kind of that athletic body that he pretty much kept his entire life. So I was like, I'm just always like mesmerized by the way he moves around and like, you know, so it's like, yeah, you're right. He's amazing. Completely. His physicality is intensely good. And I know we're, we're probably going to have to talk about Road to Perdition in another theme because I do oh, love yeah. that movie. But that was his last film. And even in that movie, he was like genuinely dead months yeah. later and um he's so stoic like you would not know basically to right. watch him that he was battling lung, lung yeah. cancer and yeah he's he's got a real physicality that i think i feel like leonardo dicaprio tries to get to with like the revenant and all that stuff but he always goes like all the way to the top that's a whole other episode <laughs> we, just we know that that's a that's all on a theme. But Newman keeps it subtle, and that's part of his sexiness yeah. to me is that he keeps his shit together yeah. and he knows when to lay it on and he knows when to pull back and he just makes every character pop yeah. that way. Well, I for one, I'm so glad that you picked this movie. I mean, I honestly thought it was such a fun. I'll just tell you, I watched it on election night. And I was like, I popped a Xanax and watched Nobody's Fool. And I was like, hell yes, this is the spot I want to be in. I want to be in this cozy, snowy winter wonderland of all these like really great towny characters and Paul Newman's hotness. And I just was so, I, I loved it. I really, and it was literally like, 
I hadn't even really known much about it. And, you know, like it was that thing where I'm like, oh, and then so-and-so's in it and Robert Penn directed it. And it's like, you know, that kind of thing. So you really did turn me on to something. So I'm so pleased that you picked this. That makes me so happy because it is, it is, I mean, the kids are always talking about the vibes. (laughs) This movie is a vibe, right? Like, I'm glad that you had that experience with it because that, it is like a comfort movie for me where I just curl up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get like the Sully vibes and I'm going to watch this this amazing scene unfold in front of me. And again, like it's a credit to the writers um, that they were able to, to draw out so much story and so many characters. Like this is a real ensemble cast and I didn't feel like they were ignoring anybody. Um, But it's just, uh, it's such a tender, beautiful movie. He is so hot. He is so hot because this was a hard one. Like we really, I we thought about putting in Slapshot. Oh, yeah. We thought about so putting many movies. in Road to yeah. He's been hot his whole life. Yeah. It's, it's to, again, cheers, sir, <laughs> to your credit. Cheers to that. This is a question, a question that I have too, though, like trying to like in kind of not understanding this, but maybe, I don't know. I just, I wonder about what do you know about how his, hotness how it hit people in different eras like was he bad boy in the 60s and then he kind of morphed into like a dad and then he kind of morphed into like do you know anything about his areas of hotness he was literally the good guy his entire life he was married to the same woman for like 50 60 years joanne woodward who was like an actress herself and they were in movies together he, by all accounts, and, you know, not that I know a ton of old Hollywood gossip, like I'm not like head of Hopper or something like that, but I'm like, just based on <laughs> research and just knowing what I know about old Hollywood, he was like as good as people might have thought he was. Like, I mean, he d- doesn't seem to be a lot of juice on him. Uh, and Ugh. he seemed to be like a stand up guy his entire life. And that is why ultimately, people love him so much is that he's just sort of like he's just good he's just a good dude and he's a wife guy totally a wife guy he really like that's part of the hotness for me yeah is that he's just a good person yeah i have this um you know i'm sure there's probably been more than one coffee table book about him i have this one that i think chronicle put out like many years ago and it was just called i think it's called paul newman in pictures and it was just like all these photographs taken of like him and joanne woodward just like hanging out in the yard and like and i just want to cry because i'm like i'll never have a love as pure as that (laughs) like they're super cute like you know they're both dancing in the living room to records and like you know in the yard and like at the beach and i just want to cry all night it's so cute that's the kind of couple that makes me have hope though like sometimes most of the time when i see those couples in those pictures i'm like fuck off but with them i'm like oh no that was good yeah i mean like they knew it was good they knew it was good (laughs) i mean classic hollywood was known to like stage a few you know publicity photos a a time or two for sure but it felt they stage entire marriages entire straight marriages for gay people so it's kind of like yeah it's it's phony as shit normally but like you they were together their entire lives and they had kids and he was like a race car driver and did the salad dressing thing and he just seemed like a good dude i mean he's like really one of the only classic actors that i've heard of that 
was a decent person. Like I don't that I don't hear much about. Let's just say that. So, uh, well, Sully, Sully can get it. Just any. I, again, I don't know that I have a type, but I feel like. Um, have you watched any of the David Letterman? My next guest is no, or my next guest needs no introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, he does an episode with Kanye, which is wild. Oh my gosh! And oh my gosh! Watched, but there is a scene in that episode where. Kanye takes Dave shopping in his closet, essentially, for Yeezys and, like, you know, his line of clothing. And David Letterman, big white beard, like, kind of, you know, he's David Letterman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He dresses like he's going to go out to the garage and work on a car. When he puts on some of these, like, like a tailored jacket and, like, a turtleneck and, like, that is my skis. I want, I used to say, like, don't even approach me if you don't have gray hair. But now I definitely think... Don't approach me unless you've had a major cardiac event. <laughs> my type is like, you know, you're on Lipitor. <laughs> and my kink is I get to sleep in my bed alone from corner to corner. <laughs> like that is where I'm at. <laughs> so yeah, Sully fits right in there because he looks like the kind of guy whose like jacket smells like gasoline. I just, I love it. I just uh, love it. Yeah, he's adorable. This movie is great. And I wouldn't have known about it truly if it wasn't for you. And when I saw it, the first 10 minutes of it, I was like, oh, yeah, th- Danielle picked this movie. It, remi- it reminded <laughs> me of you just like knowing what I know about you growing up in upstate New York. Like, I just knew it. And that's great. Like, I love when movies remind me of people. And I love that, like, you love this movie. So that's incredibly sweet. That makes me very happy. And I'm really glad you loved it. It's it's a good movie. It's a good movie. And again, all new men. <laughs> Why do you got to be so hot? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Lauren Elizabeth Brown. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media assistant is Taryn Matza. Our theme songs by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at iSawPod. And please listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 